All right, you're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. We are your hosts. I'm Brandon. I'm Justine. I'm Matt. I'm Christo. And this is bonus episode number two. We're recording live at SaltCon 2020. And we're going to go through some games that we played here. And we're going to have a quick discussion of the types of games we like to play at conventions, followed by some Q&A by our very large audience. Um, <laughs> so Quite down back there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this uh, convention, I managed to play Burano, which for the longest time I thought was walking in Burano. Different game, completely. Um, so it's a game where you are selecting your actions based on cubes you have. There's six different colored cubes. You select uh, from three actions based on which color cubes you're using. The trick is at the beginning of a round, you place your cubes in a pyramid, like nine, or nine, then four, then one, and you have to uncover the cubes to use them. So you're, as you're building your pyramid, you're selecting the order you're taking your actions in. It's a really interesting game. I definitely want to play it again. It's a puzzle. Um, it can be a brain burner, but it, I don't know. The action selection mechanism is different enough. I think it's really cool and really novel. Uh, how heavy is it? Because it looks like it's walking Burano artwork. Well, I mean, it's set in the same city. I would say it's probably medium heavy. What do you think, Christo? Uh, it's a weird game. Actually, I don't know about weight. I was going to say the cool thing about the game is you play with these huge cubes. They're pretty large. And um, uh, that that's kind of funny. But it is a serious game, though. Um, yeah. It's a, definitely a, a kind of a Euro game. It, it's... It's actually a really strange game. I can't really put my finger on like how heavy it is or like even the mechanics were just like really off the wall, just strange novel in a way. I'd say it's like it can actually be pretty thinky if you really take it seriously and like try to predict what people do. Um, so, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it depends on how seriously you take it, I think. Was this in the library or is it on the it, hot It was in table? the library. Okay. It was in the library. Okay. Reminds me of my game. I'm not sure how serious it is. Um, uh, Coloma. I don't know how heavy or serious it is. Uh, you have a circle of five actions you can take, and we all select them simultaneously, right? But if somebody else chooses to go to your space, it busts, and the space becomes not as good for everybody. So it's this fun game of balancing, should I go for the best spaces, or should I try and have some elbow room? Um, I fell flat on my face, in in like a good way, right? It was actually fun, but I busted like 12 times in a row and I just couldn't find a space to go to. And I think I was trying to optimize too hard, right? Um, which is very novel. I've never had a game like that where the way you win is by trying to make the, uh, the almost perfect actions, you know? Um, it's a re-implementation of a game called Hangtown. Uh, and it's by a designer that I'd never heard of, but I'm interested now. Uh, Johnny Pack Canton. Um, I didn't hear about Hangtown, but this real implementation looks great. It has cool components, a little asymmetry. Uh, the game's in hot games, by the way. I taught it yesterday. You can definitely take it too seriously and play a really long game. I think the game that I taught 
Uh, the people are playing there for like three hours, which I think is a little too long for that game. Um, you should probably just kind of just just. I go. wasn't sure just because go. you actually can look at all three of your opponents, take a bunch of time, try and figure out where they're going. And I was wondering if that's an interesting way to play. But you're saying yeah, no, yeah. just go. No, I, <laughs> I, I like to just go in that game because if you think too much, you're probably not having too much fun with it, I think. All right, that was Coloma. So, yeah. Uh, me, I played Liftoff, actually. That's a game from the library. Uh, it came out about six months ago. Uh, it's actually very similar to kind of like games like The Networks. Uh, it's a wonderful world, uh, terraform terraforming Mars in a way. Uh, it's kind of a card drafting game where you draft a bunch of cards and they do things for you. They do engine building things for you. They do kind of push up tracks things for you. The theme of the game is you're launching rockets and it's kind of like this retro 60s theme. Um, it has like really cool art. Um, I really liked it. The scores get really large, but the game seemed to be mostly balanced. We did have a runaway uh, leader kind of a little bit in our game, so it can be kind of rough, but I think it's fine if you probably know what you're doing because I think uh, the, the runaway leader was probably because all of us were really Really new to the game. Um, game has a little bit of a confusing flow. The rules were a little bit finicky at first, but uh, I actually have really good impressions from it. So lift off from nice. the library, not from the hot games. Uh, my game is in the hot games. It's Runestones by Rudiger Dorn and Queen Games. Rudiger Dorn has done several games. Uh, some of them include Las Vegas, Istanbul, Karuba, Montana, Luxor, Alhambra, and a dexterity game called Slapshot. Did you know he did a dexterity game? No, I didn't. I would really like to play a dexterity game from, from Rudiger Dorn. Anyway, I've called him like the king of family weight games. Maybe they're like the ne next step in family weight games, but they feel pretty light to me. But he does them really well, so I don't, I don't think that a light game necessarily means that it's a bad game. Uh, but in this particular one, there is a bit of... I wouldn't say depth, but there, there's good decisions in it. It's a deck building game, hand management and set collection. Every card has dual use, so you can pay some points on the cards to buy more cards. Or the interesting part about it is you can play two cards and trigger their like powers, which is going to get you like gems or sometimes more cards or points. You trigger both the cards and then your highest card, they're numbered, so they're uniquely numbered cards. Your highest card is going to get trashed out of the game and the other one is going to go in your discard pile. Then you're spending gems to get artifacts and these artifacts are like circular chits, different colors. And you spend artifacts um, either two, three, four, or five, getting you three, six, 10, or 15 points. And then no matter how many you spend, you get a runestone, the titular character in the game, I guess. And these will give you special abilities. You have four slots for them. So there's this decision of, do I just keep spinning two and get special abilities and then build up to get um, some in-game scoring? Because at the end, your artifacts are going to turn into points at the end of the game. So I actually really like this game. I thought it was interesting. I don't typically like deck building games. Those aren't my favorite. But this one was interesting enough and different enough, innovative enough to um, to keep my interest. So I feel like it has uh, some staying power. I think it, I might play it another four or five times, which is uh, more to say like some of my games on my shelf have played got played once. So yeah, <laughs> sure. 
Yeah, uh, I think the game is actually really fascinating. Uh, at first, I was like, another deck building game, like, been there, done that. Uh, that's actually what I was thinking going in. Like, what can he do? That's, like, so cool. But I think it is really cool because it makes you deconstruct your deck as you're playing the game. So, like, you pick up more cards and the game itself forces you to get rid of cards. So, actually, it's a very interesting dynamic, which doesn't kind of exist in most other deck building games. Other deck building games let you trash cards but this one like trashes like pretty aggressively uh we were down me and another player were down to like a deck of seven cards in the middle of the game and that was kind of really bad actually because you want to i think that the, the, you can want to kind of like build up and then like go down as you play out your cards and get kind of cash them out in a way um so really kind of interesting deck building game and actually i'm probably gonna i'm looking forward to playing it with uh, probably trevor in the audi audience because he likes deck building games um today it's probably my recommendation yeah you cool know that, that's a good point it, it is like this balancing act of you you like burn your engine which is cards but then you have to build up your engine again i got down to three cards which is funny because <laughs> I, I discarded one card but I had to draw up, so I just put it right back into my hand. Yeah. In a lot of deck building games, it's at some point you actually stop building cards and you just kind of like churn your deck. In this one, you kind of have to keep buying cards. I mean, buying cards. Uh, you kind of have to keep buying cards throughout the whole game, even towards the end of the game. You sometimes buy cards because you kind of run out. I did not win the game, although I did come in second place. Uh, there was a three-way tie for first. <laughs> that was a pretty close one, actually. It was closer than our game. And I have to say the art on runestones and liftoff, I would say it's like totally different art styles, but 10 out of 10, definitely for uh, pulling in the theme. The runestones game is gorgeous. So pretty. The cards um, all have different like mythical creatures. So like there's a, I don't even know. It's not a satyr, but there's dragons, the, the mm -hmm. goat man and a dragon. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Uh, Celtic mythology, I think, is what it's based on. And then Liftoff is very 60s, um, kind of like Fallout-style cartoon drawings. Really neat art. All right, so those were some games that we played at SaltCon. So up next, we will talk about some types of games to play at conventions. So... Now, I know a lot of people in our gaming group that like to come to these conventions and get really long grandiose games played right so like six hour games uh because they don't hit the table as often in our in our gaming group right so i do think that this is a good place to do that however that brings up the point of the type of games that i like to play the most are probably just games that don't hit the table for me it's not long games because i feel like Although there's four games days of gaming and it's like 24-hour gaming, I still feel kind of limited and I want to mm -hmm. try to play as many games as possible. But it, but I do try to play games that don't get played with our group. And for me, that's dexterity games. Like I really like dexterity games. However, they don't hit the table quite as often in our group. There is some people that like dexterity games in our group, including myself. But I... I fault myself because when I'm packing up for, to go to a game night, I don't bring dexterity games because... I don't, even though I like them, I don't typically, I want more of a, a thinky kind of a game night. Uh, but here it's a lot more fun because it's louder, right? <laughs> there's like wow. in the big gaming hall, there's like chatter. And so you don't feel like you're as disruptive playing dexterity games. 
yeah, there's an element of the games are also large and heavy and they're set up here and they're pretty huge versions here, which is really fun as well. Yeah. If you bring them to a game night, you're bringing like these wooden crates of games and you're setting them up and it's kind of like takes away from, from the fun a little bit. There's like six set up for you here, which is really fun. Yeah, what's that stacking game with Villa the level? Paletti. Yeah, there's a giant version of Villa Paletti. Oh, there's two versions of Crokinole. I've been trying to play that game for like 100 years, and so I finally get to. Um, and like you said, Brandon, like I, I like dexterity games, and I never put them in my bag. Like I love iSchool. How many times have I brought it? Zero. So I guess this is the place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, is there any types of games that uh, you guys try to get played here that don't get played with our group? Um, we actually last night got a chance to play Macau, which is a Steffenfeld game from 2005. Yeah, 2009. 2009. Yeah. Old, old, old game. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> in gaming years, I guess. Um, it's a game that I am desperate to get a reprint. I so badly want it to get a reprint because I love it. It's a smooth game. It goes easy. It doesn't take forever. It goes for 12 rounds, which makes you think it's going to be a really long game, but those rounds are snappy, especially at the beginning. Um, and then they get snappier as you go. Um, but it's a game like you can't find a copy of it for less than $300, but it's just next door in the gaming library. So like... Yeah, so I think I play play this copy at every library event and at every con. So like what types of games like this copy, the last copy in Salt Lake of this really old Steffenfeld game. Yeah. And speaking of the old Steffenfeld games, I guess uh, Year of the Dragon and Merlin, I want to play this time. So I guess uh, just with sure numbers of people, I guess you can get four people together to play really old Steffenfeld games at cons. Um, yeah, speaking of which, I would like to play Merlin. Uh, in general, for SaltCon, though, I want to play kind of lighter and faster games, or like at least not long. Uh, to Brandon's point, some people like to bring in six-hour games and play them. Uh, that's kind of not my preference for the convention. I like to play games that are like two hours, so you can feel like you're playing a lot of games and it's kind of light and fun i feel like if you start the six player game at the convention it kind of turns into like this i don't know it's fun sometimes but I, it's just not my preference it's not what i like yeah it feels it, like it's four days but it really is only like eight two-hour blocks and twilight imperium can just eat up like half of that yeah <laughs> i mean it is a good place to to try to get those games played if you're not getting them played i prefer to play them in a more comfortable environment like a home maybe you know somewhere where the bathroom's close <laughs> <laughs> Um, as far as games that I actually want to play uh, when I come here, it's actually usually new games. And there is a little uh, painful situation there because you have to read the rules for new games or be taught the new mm -hmm. games. And then when they're not hot games, you kind of have to read the rules or someone in your group has to read the rules. And I feel like I've spent like 10 hours reading rules in the last week to like prepare for uh, SaltCon, which is kind of an, an unfortunate thing. That's the but pro when, move. But when you do actually uh, get to play the games, it feels good. Um, it is a little clunky, and I appreciate these guys for like suffering through uh, some really clunky rules explanation explanations. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, yeah, I was gonna say, Risto, like you <laughs> like cram like you're studying for a test yeah. when, when, yeah, the, when the convention yeah. comes around. That, that's how many rule like. books? How many rule books did you read before you uh, came here? Actually, probably like ten rule books altogether. Just uh, in addition to the three games that I'm teaching for like hot games, so it's just like crazy. Yeah. Are you taking vitamins and supplements <laughs> to like help with no, your memory? That's, because that's just all I do. <laughs> <laughs> 
and Matt and I take kind of a different approach. We tend not to come with a plan of like what games we want to play. Um, so we kind of rely on Haristo. If he's going to teach a game, we're going to listen to his rules explanation. But one of the things we've found works for us is we actually come and look through the library and pick the games out that we want to play. And um, we'll actually spend time going through the rule book together. So we sit side by side and set the game up together and read the rules together. Um, it's led to some interesting rules goofs that uh, we found out later. That's the I, thing. This isn't the best studying environment. Yeah, it's either. not a good study environment, but it's kind of fun. It's nice to like sit together and go through the rules. And then sometimes we don't actually end up playing the game. Like last night, we pulled Crystal Palace out of the library and ended up, Matt read the rules and we were interested in playing it. And then he's like, oh, there's like these take that cards. He can talk a little bit more about it. But we decided like, eh, maybe that's not for us. Yeah, I was going to say about reading rules. I would not read rules out loud. I think the better way is either someone knows the game or you read the rules kind of side by side, like reading. I think that's probably a better way. Or to learn. you can shout them. So then if other people hear, they might yeah, be yeah. like, that sounds interesting. I want to join. And How the, effective are those little area. teacher wanted signs? Can you just put a teacher wanted sign on Crystal Palace and like somebody will magically appear? Uh, I don't know. I've, I've tried, but it takes some, some time if it's not a popular game. Yeah. Uh, I did read a rule book last year with a group and I decided never to do it again. Like it just bogs down your experience and you are kind of reading rules out loud. Like I was reading them quietly to myself and yeah, it didn't work out very Which well. Which game was it? Just Silk. curious. Silk. Silk. Okay. Yeah. It's at least not a super complicated game, yeah. I think. Right. No, no, no. It was a small rule book and that's why we chose it, but nah, not for me. Uh, how about, do you guys bring games? Like I see a lot of people with gaming bags and such. Do you guys end up bringing games to try to get them played? I didn't bring any just because I don't want to haul them around. I hate like carrying stuff around conventions, so I didn't bring any. I have an emergency Great Western Trail in the car. <laughs> also, Terra Mystica. I... Matt's never more than twenty feet away from Terra you Mystica. Always have one at of your given favorite time. games in like gl a glass case and says, you know, breaking. <laughs> yeah, break, break <laughs> case, case of emergency. emergency. Uh, I brought games the first time I ever went to SaltCon, and then I saw that the library has a lot of the games that I like, and I just never bring games. Even though yesterday I was looking for Merlin, and someone had it checked out the entire day, so we finally like got it this morning, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's the downside of because there's only one copy. But usually you can find something that you know how to play if you've played a lot of games previously from the library. So I don't care. Uh, and the new games, which I have, we just end up playing throughout the year. So I don't feel like I need to play them here, you know. Uh, yeah, like we play pretty I often have. during the week yeah. to where we maybe don't need to bring our collection. I, yeah. I did the same thing. The first convention I went to, I brought a big game bag of games and ended up just like having a sore, sore shoulder and like none of them got played. So yep. I come with zero games and, and always never have a problem playing a game. Yeah. Um, another thing that I like kind of an agenda that I like to do at conventions is, is try to play with strangers. That's kind of the beauty of, of uh, board game conventions is you walk in and you see all kinds of different personalities and individuals, but you have, you always have one thing in common with everybody here. And that's the love of games, right? So it's very interesting for me to sit down and play with complete strangers and get to know them and quite possibly get somebody new into your gaming group, or at least somebody that you play with consistently con after con, right? You start, faces start looking more familiar and it becomes more and more of a comfortable place. Christo probably has this the most. 
Yeah, there are actually the funny thing is I haven't played with anyone this year that I have played with previously, but uh, just because of I hang around the hot games and I play them, I've met a lot of people who also do the same thing and I kind of see them around and I've seen them at, you know, like the Valley, like board game sales and board game stores, meetups, whatever. So you kind of see people. Um, so yeah, yeah, you definitely recognize, start to recognize some faces. Yeah, just I, having played with them. I work before. at a board game store. Or for me, I volunteer, so I like have taught them games before. So I kind of just like, yeah, I recognize people. Right. Yeah, I work at a board game store and I see many customers. And yeah, because uh, it makes sense. They're here. That that it's not like a different group. It's the same group that buys yeah. from the store. Right. Uh, and that's Demolition Games located in Salt Lake City, Utah, which we highly suggest going to because they have amazing prices of games. Never at MSRP. Um, Christo, l- let's talk a little bit about your volunteer work here. So you you teach games at the... Uh, did, did I sound like a commercial just now? Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Sounds like, like an interrogation or something, but it's okay. It's okay. No, I'm just kidding. It's fine. Uh, just just do it. So you, you teach games. You teach, what, four games uh, the vol- of what I volunteer for is hot games. You can volunteer, volunteer for different things. You can volunteer for the front desk, for a games checkout library, for uh, doing random stuff around the convention. Uh, the hot games people get assigned three games, actually, uh, is what it is. It used to be four, I think, at some point, but I think they reduced it to three this or last year. Uh, there are shifts of four hours and you teach people games and they show up and you teach people games. That's uh, the games that you're assigned to. Do they test you? Uh, no, actually, it used to be kind of uh, more free form this year. I think they kind of made a push to actually uh, make sure that everyone kind of is on the same page as far as teaching rules and knowing their rules. Previously, we've had some goofs with yeah. like teaching and stuff, but... Uh, it's it's a volunteer situation, so it's not like they're professional game teachers or something, you know? There's just, like, people that like the games, usually, that teach the games. Yeah. So. On Mars is one of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what I wanted to say about that is uh, that game's been actually pretty popular, which is kind of surprising. Uh, Gaia Project was here three, two years ago, and it wasn't that popular, so I thought, like, hot games, heavy games that hot games don't do well. But On Mars has been pretty full, and there's two people, like, pretty much sitting next to the table the entire game to answer questions, mm. like uh, teachers, which is just very kind of unfortunate, but that's that's kind of what you get with uh, Lacerda games, and that's one of them. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a different game. All the other hot games are kind of lighter-ish, or just, like, very... You can pick them up easily. On Mars is, like different <laughs> so if somebody's volunteering to teach on mars they're also teaching two other games yeah that's what's supposed to be happening but in reality i think like some people came and like over started overlapping with them because basically the guy that's teaching on mars cannot teach the other two games because yeah, yeah. they're like fully occupied and teaching on mars so people end up reading the rules sometimes by themselves which is unfortunate but it's it's weird scheduling with on mars yeah yeah that's, that's, that's what i thought I would have actually probably recommended if if to that there's a dedicated person to just on Mars, especially if there's two copies. But yeah, it's weird. Uh, anything else you guys want to add to conventions, agendas, anything like that? No, this is my first convention. And so far, it's been failing and then meeting new people and playing new games. I've just played 
gear the dragon with you guys, but I'm looking forward to, to it today, all those things you guys talked about. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say conventions for me sometimes, not always, but uh, I did play a social game, which usually doesn't happen with our group. Uh, there's more people here and they're kind of more up to it. So you can do like more massive experiments of playing. Like they had a trick taker palooza or something where like I saw that, yeah. 50 people were playing some kind of trick taking game or multiple. I don't know Several. how it worked, but yeah. you can do like more massive things in conventions like that. Like uh, I played Blood on the Clock Tower, which is like a massive like uh, 9 to 18 social deduction game, which usually doesn't happen with us. So that's what I like to at least maybe participate in if i'm interested in it um yeah this is where you can play two rooms in a boom yeah two rooms in yeah. a boom those kind of like the games that are designed for like a massive amount of people usually yeah. don't happen during the week with our group at least but they might mm -hmm. happen here yeah so that's a good good place all right so at this time we'll open up the uh floor of this huge crowd and uh <laughs> and uh take some 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 questions that we'll attempt to answer maybe in theory <laughs> wait, wait, we've got oh, a list no. okay um, just to reiterate so yeah i was gonna do the same thing so yeah. you do it <laughs> uh pros and cons of new games versus uh stuff that you need to get played more right so new games are always coming in and we're always playing new games but uh, we need to balance that with games that we already have on the shelf. So it's just like every game on our shelf doesn't get one play and that's it, right? So they're not just dead sitting there. So how do we mitigate that? Poorly. Yeah, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually out of the group, I'm probably the biggest fan of older games. Uh, I like new games, but... I am not super crazy about playing new games all the time. I have a lot of older games in my collection. I'm not jumping anymore to buy all the new hotness or whatever. I will play it, but to me, it has to be kind of like really kind of different and maybe innovative in a way to be to for me to be interested in um, in in actually buying it or something. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of tough because new stuff is coming out all the time. Actually, just kind of a really quick side note, I posted something on our website. Uh, Ignacy Trevishek, the guy who designed 51st State and like other games, uh, he was saying that there's a, he was calling it a sickness <laughs> of, uh, of uh, obsession with new stuff. They uh, A lot of publishers erased 51st State from their database because it's more than three years old now. And he was just complaining about it. Obviously, he has like a vested interest in the whole thing but you know they're not selling it because it's more than three years old and basically games that are more than three years old just like drop off they just like don't exist for a lot of people a lot of stores some stores are not like that but a lot of stores just like won't even buy them and he sells the games out of his website so you can still get them but not through like publishers you know so it is kind of a weird thing and it's becoming kind of just like this like revving engine that's like new, new, new all the time. So that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's uh, crazy. That's kind of that, how board games are. It's weird. That's crazy that th a three-year-old game is now considered old in the board game yeah. community. Yeah, yeah, that's what he was saying. It's like a sickness. Yeah. <laughs> well, and here I am like wishing Macau would get a reprint. No, that's not happening. Um, uh, yeah, I have such a hard time with that because they have... Like there's a kind of like a set number of mechanics. Like you've got your worker placement, you've got your card drafting, you got your deck building, and people just kind of um, kind of mix those around a little bit. 
So I've gotten more and more picky with what I buy. Like I'm not going to buy a game that's simply a worker placement game anymore. Like there has to be something new. Um, I'm also really into like the theme. So if the theme doesn't intrigue me, I'm probably not going to buy the game. Um, and then I, I don't know. I just try and be more picky, but yeah, it's such a hard thing. Like, I mean, we've got Maracaibo that we haven't played in forever because like 10 new games came out since Maracaibo came out and now like, yeah, that's not getting off the shelf anymore. So yeah. I mean, I think the, the answer is to stop buying games. But good luck getting your old games played. The tricky thing is that games keep on getting better and better and are more tempting. It'd be easy if they actually did stagnate, but they are mixing around these different mechanisms and novel ways that are new and interesting. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if they keep getting better. They just keep keep mixing up mechanisms, yeah. which is interesting, though. It's a novelty for sure. Uh, I don't know if like a game that's published today is like categorically better than a game that was published in 2010 you know it's been 10 years but like is it like groundbreakingly amazing i don't know it's uh it has it's a mashup of mechanics in a different way it's novel it's interesting yes but i i don't know uh, actually to, to to be honest though as far as like how do you weed out games to play that's a really tough question because a lot of people trust sources like i don't know like shut up and sit down dice tower rado or something whatever they recommend I kind of don't trust anyone, actually, but unfortunately, <laughs> and what ends up happening is I spend a lot of time just like going through just kind of gameplay uh, videos or just reading rule books or just whatever of all kinds of sources to find out what the game is and try to think for myself if I'm going to like it or not. Um, and I'm not the kind of person that would say like, just because Shut Up and Sit Down recommends it, like I'm good with it. You know, uh, it's it's like I, I have to look into it and play it and then I can decide if it's good or not. And unfortunately, that leads to a lot of like weeding through games for me because I have to look into them myself. And that's that's kind of, yeah, that's what ends up happening. One of the best secret ways to find a place to weed out games for you is pick your favorite designer and go to his BGG page. Like I go to Stefan Feld's page and I have the same taste in him, right? And uh, he does a good job of just sorting games by like trash, don't even worry about it and good. And it's not necessarily like agreeing with the mainstream consensus you know it's kind of more tailored to me maybe i'm weird but i'm not also a designer fanboy like i like ignasi for example but he's designed some really <laughs> bad you're talking games. about him a lot uh so it's like like there are designers like they're good games of designers and bad games of designers it's not like someone's like the be all end all like stefan feld is not like the god of design to me no i'm talking he has he, really amazing on his games. bgg oh, page yeah, yeah, lists yeah. all yeah. the other games if, i if, have the same taste as him is what i'm yeah, saying yeah if he, if he has preferences that Speaking align bad, to you Feld yeah if you, games, if, we're playing merlin yeah, right yeah, after yeah. this so yeah. <laughs> if you find uh if you find someone who has aligned interests that's obviously mm -hmm. a, 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 a mm -hmm. source but it's not like the end all be all or uh, I know for me, I like I will watch Shut Up and Sit Down, Rado, free publicity for all these people, fun. Um, but I know like certain keywords. So they'll have certain keywords of like, uh, if Rado says a game is like maybe too heavy for him, I'm like, that's a game for me. Um, I can't think of any right now. They're just things that these reviewers say that I might not agree wholeheartedly with their review. Like they might say like, I don't like this game, but I know I'm going to like it because of things they've said about it. Um, so that's a good way too, is paying attention to which reviewers you align with, which reviewers you don't align with. Um, and yeah, you kind of start to get in a, an idea of like what they're looking at. 
Designer pedigree for me is a good source of uh, what to my interest and what to look at because there is designers that I do have a lot of faith in, even though they might not design uh, gold every time. It's still a good like uh, like heading, right? All right. Is there any more questions? <laughs> is there a game that we like to play more of? How do we make that happen? Aggression. Yeah, just take it out, start <laughs> setting it up over whatever uh, game they're setting up. It's, yeah. <laughs> it, it's kind of true, actually. No, the reason Terra Mystica has been played a lot is because Matt and Justine are like insane Terra Mystica beasts, uh, <laughs> which which is a, a thing. Yeah. Matt, Matt has played it online like 700 times. He's one of those guys that are like the online people that like study moves and like knows the whole game uh, inside out. So just because of that, and they're always up for Terra Mystica, uh, we've played it a lot of times. Uh, sometimes it's tough though. Yeah, there's so many games competing for attention out there that to play the same game over and over, I'd say everyone has to like it, first of all, which is kind of challenging sometimes in our group as well because we don't always have perfect alignment with what we like. And yeah, it's just kind of insistence and like, yeah, let's play this. Yeah, let's play this. New expansions. My favorite part of them is it gets old games back to the table. Like yeah, I just got yeah. to play Underwater Cities again for the first time in like a year because it got an expansion. Terra Mystica just got an expansion is why it's been being played a lot. Uh, Teo Tawakin is getting played a lot because of new expansions. The more people you get to play the games, the more chances you have for it to get to the table. I think I've introduced Lorenzo Og Magnifico to pretty much every single person at our group. So it's yep. a little bit easier to get that played because people already know the rules. And it's, and it's one of those games where you could bust out and say, like, we already know how to play this. No rules teach. Let's just get it done. Uh, also, Matt and Justine like the game. So that's helpful yep. if you have a couple of people in the group that already like it. Um, but to answer the question, like, what are games that I would want to get played? more Lisboa uh, Lacerda game but that's kind of rough because it's a uh, if you don't know the game it's a long teach and if you do know the game it's still a long game so yeah but uh a uh, specific game probably living planet uh lately we were just talking about matt how like uh again maybe not a game that everyone would like um but it's a game which i think probably gets better with more plays with maybe the same group or just people knowing how to play the game and it has some like scenario generator stuff that kind of makes it a little sandboxy so you can play different types of games with the same game and that's just a title that comes to mind lately i have such a hard time because i usually bring like a whole bag of games to the meetup and like every game i bring i'm wanting to play but like if it doesn't get played i don't get heartbroken over it um can you think of games that I've been bringing recently? Uh, no, it kind of helps to be a couple. We yeah, kinda it helps. Get our games played more because we're a coalition of two already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once you've got two people agreeing to play the game, then um, you know you're all halfway there. From what I've seen in your house, Barrage, I think, is a game which was being played like frequently. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you would like. Constantly. I, I, I don't know if you'd like it to continue to be played frequently, but that's just been been happening. That's that's a thing. Yeah, we the, reviewed Barrage. that game, so maybe that's an answer. Start up a podcast and start reviewing games. <laughs> and then you'll have at least the people on your podcast playing. Um, I think so. Underwater cities is so. One. Let's reiterate the question. Oh, for the, sorry, I the forgot show. that. Yeah. So the question was: Are there games that we feel like have kind of had a mob mentality around them, as far as like maybe negative things or even positive things about them? Um, 
and the one I go to right away is Underwater Cities. That got such a poor reputation right off the bat for being really, really, really long. It's not a long game. Your first game might be a struggle. It, you might have to think a little bit longer. Your first game might be longer than you want it to be, but in subsequent plays, it's not a bad game and it doesn't take as long as you would think. Um so that's one game. A particular reviewer did say that Barrage was too brain burny, and that's why they didn't give it a higher rating, and that might turn people off. And honestly, like it's not that complex of a game. A little bit of a brain burn, but like some of us are okay with that or even looking for that. So like some negative connotation about a game could be our positive thing about a game, right? Also, in between this like small uh, two-player game, uh, that I actually talked about on the previous episode. I remember a reviewer saying that going on and on about the name not being on the front of the box for a long time or the back of the box had nothing on it and it just had the name on the side. And that was like so insignificant to me of like, why mm -hmm. is this like, who cares? What's in the box, right? Exactly. I think all the splatter games, a lot of people have been just closed-minded to that. Yeah, because they look like prototypes, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and well, so people just mob against them. They're for people who just want to play a prototype and play this really, really heavy, really long game with all the fun sucked out of it. But I think if you just look at the design, especially on the lighter side, like Great Zimbabwe and stuff, it's just a mainstream game looks like it's drawn by crayons is all and so it really <laughs> hurts its reputation and makes it really hard to get to the table it does we have a friend that anytime we introduce a new splatter game you can't it's not a splatter game it's just a game who designed that i don't know yeah <laughs> <laughs> and he's like oh this is all right that's actually a really excellent question by the way and i can't really think i can't really think of a recent game but the only thing i can think of is i really like those games like 51st state and like liftoff and um terraforming Mars, not so much but like adara games where you draft cards and a lot of people say they're random and they are prone to like you getting the right cards you know and that's the whole game is like someone gets the right cards and they win but if the game is designed well i think there's more to those games than that uh, you can work around bad card draws again if the game is designed well. So yeah. that's kind of a pet peeve of mine. There's a lot of people I've heard like uh, 51st Day called being called random. And yes, there is some randomness, but I think the coolness of the game and the enjoyment for me of the game is working around that, you know, just like dealing with it and turning it into something positive. Um, that's kind of, yeah, like uh, people want to force strategy on those games and you should play like kind of your hands in those games, which is kind of my, my approach to them. But a really good question, actually. I can't really think of like a specific game recently that's been mobbed on for some weird negative reason but, pipeline yeah. pipeline got mobbed on oh yeah, yeah, well, yeah. that's, my that's, one that's totally yeah. justified by the way <laughs> it's part of that not mob. though i mean okay so it's not like yeah there's some misleading parts like you open the box and there's this these tiles with the pretty colored pipes and you're like playing a, a one of those games where you're connecting it's a tile pipes. Lane game kind of but yeah and it is a brain burner, but it's a fun brain burner. I always feel really good after I play that game. After your first game. Your first game, you're going to be defeated. But after that, I, play it again. It'll my be left eye twitched for a week after playing that game. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would say I did not. I would not describe the feeling as fun after playing that game. But it was interesting. It was interesting. No, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Pipeline. And uh, both Matt and Justine are. I'm, I'm not. I think it's just like actually not fun. But it's it's fine. It's fine. It's really, really brain burning. Uh, yeah, that was a great question. Yeah. Is there any other questions? 
scanning the room. Oh, yes, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay, so an overhyped game that actually lives up to the hype? Mm. That's a great question, which leaves us in silence. Yeah. <laughs> a game that lives up to its hype. The most hyped games are Stegmeier games. Did any of you like any Stegmeier games? Uh, you know, I, I do like Scythe, but I like Scythe because like uh, it's fun. I don't think it's like a, an amazing game. I, I would rather play Terra Mystica, which it feels like really inspired by Terra Mystica, mm -hmm. but they just made it like more like look better, basically. Uh, Tapestry was uh, overhyped for me. It felt like a game of tracks that wasn't that interesting, but... <sighs> A game that lives up to its hype. Actually, Lacerda games get a lot of yeah, hype that's what I was in, just a, in a say. smaller community, but uh, those typically live up to the hype. Except Escape Plan didn't um, didn't do it for me, but I'm hoping on Mars does. Yeah, basically every Lacerda game that's come out, I've really enjoyed. Um, I've only played Escape Plan once. I want to play it again. I don't remember it very well. There's so many examples of the other way of it not yeah. living up to the yeah. hype. That's all in my recent memory. I'm just sitting like, oh, no, no. Yeah, that question is messing with my brain because I'm thinking about like, oh, this was hyped and I did not like it. Oh, uh, exactly. <laughs> so it's like the opposite of, uh, uh, oddly enough, I would say for me, it's actually Seven Wonders Duel. I did not like Seven Wonders at all, the regular version. And I expected Seven Wonders Duel to be like more of the same and like really lame. It actually turned out to be really awesome. And I've heard just, I heard just, when it came out, I heard a lot of positive reviews about it. And um, I was like, I'll just try it, even though I really don't like Seven Wonders regular. And I was like, wow, this is really awesome. Uh, completely different, completely way different feel of the game. Uh, way more control, I think, over what you're doing. It doesn't feel like a party game of like, yeah, let's draft some cards like Sushi Go style and whatever. It's like a really thinky, like two player back and forth tug of war game in so many ways. Uh, so that was kind of the, the a game for me, which was kind of a positive, uh, well, positive hype and actually lived up to the positive you know, hype. Now that you're saying that, I was remembering Great Western Trail got a ton of hype. Do you remember that? I was just going to uh, mention that. Great Western yeah. Trail got a ton of hype and Matt and I played it and we were not expecting a lot. We played it at a board game cafe um, and we were expecting like a deck builder. We don't like deck builders. Well, okay, we don't hate deck builders, but we don't like, yeah. Um, I don't like them in general. Uh, the theme didn't excite me, like cowboys, whatever. Um, but we played it and I think we went to the front of the store and bought it after we yeah, played we it. Yeah, we instantly bought it. That game was amazing yeah. right out of the box. And it's still amazing. We yeah, still yeah, Fister, continue Fister to play games it. games get a decent hype nowadays, you know, and I feel like they're usually justified. Maracaibo. Yeah. Um, yeah, the one in most recent memory I didn't like as much as I was hoping I would. Actually, as much as I think I'm a hipster and, like, not, uh, <laughs> not, not in line with Dice Tower, um, I do agree that 51st State is awesome and like Z hyped it and it's like been hyped and yes, it's awesome. So that's that's all. So yeah. I like 51st State actually. That's uh, that's another game that I definitely hyped and definitely really good. Uh, we got time for one more if anybody has one more question. Hooray. Most excited for and most disliked. The biggest disappointment of biggest your life, pretty much. <laughs> the biggest disappointment of my life was Goo Gong. I was oh. looking forward to that for like a year. It looked like it was going to be like Trajan with all the little different interlocking mini games and like this novel card mechanism. 
And then it just, it ended up being falling flat and I can't even support like point to one thing it just didn't have magic and it made me so sad and i was just like oh yeah that's exactly that was yeah that was it we looked forward to it we it came on amazon we were so excited we bought it and it was like oh it didn't it did it wasn't even bad enough to be like angry at it was mostly just that's like exactly oh. it it was just i have like, an example of a of an anger inducing <laughs> yeah, game example of anger <laughs> um <laughs> Wasteland Express delivery service. Oh yeah, that's a pretty good example it of was, anger. It actually, was pretty for high me at least. It had a high like rating so on B- BGG. I was so disappointed. About yeah, it. it looked really good. Had a fantastic insert. I liked the theme a lot. We sat down, we played it, and I was like kind of mad about it. Like. <laughs> It has this has this changing market where like everyone, like, everyone <laughs> in that game was angry, <laughs> and we even the, that and, game. and Justine won, and she wasn't even like excited yeah. about it. She was I just didn't like, okay. win though. I didn't win because of anything I did. I yeah. won because of like things stumbled, that happened. Stumbled into winning is how I would how I would describe that. The, game. the shifting market was the most anger inducing thing for me. So you have a market over here in the in the game. Like one of the uh, actions you could take is move, and you could like move a couple of spaces. So you're going towards this market to buy something. Somebody goes there, buys it, and it randomly refills to a different market. So now you're on the other side of the board, and now you have to take just move actions. And that's like my number one thing that I hate about. I mean, that's why I stay away from Ameritrash <laughs> games is because like to have to take this is like my most annoying thing in a game. I move. That's my turn. Goes yeah. around. Uh, this is my turn move three times and oh i just it, yeah anger inducing i would describe yeah the uh, wasteland expressions the delivery service was just like too random there's just too much random stuff and yes maybe you enjoy random stuff but in that game for some reason the random stuff was not fun it's supposed to be fun when it's random but i don't know for me it just kind of wasn't uh for me actually maybe the biggest kind of disappointment is uh was escape plan it wasn't actually a bad game necessarily but like when i he- when i hear lacerda i just like have super high expectations and i had i went in the game with really high expectations and i think he was trying to design kind of like a more accessible lighter game kind of more like maybe even not family game i struggle to call his games family games like in any way but just a kind of like a l- lesser you know like not as insane as his other games not as interlocky as his other game games and uh just it kind of just wasn't fun for some reason it was not a bad game but it kind of yeah like it didn't have a fun element for me for some reason um i think it would have been better as maybe even as a lighter game than that than what it is uh but uh, i just had really high expectations for that game so for me it was a disappointment but not necessarily a bad game so it didn't turn turn out to be bad for me it's difficult difficult to be really disappointed because i kind of look at games before i play them so i'm not going in completely blind ever so i kind of have some expectations of like am i likely to like this or not so it's tough i'll just say really quickly glass road made me really sad (laughs) that game made me so sad because it's like build as you're built it's on the glass road in germany and you're making glass and it's beautiful no and you're pushing discs around a track and then occasionally you make a brick and you might make a thing of glass and you got four rounds and you're done Nah, it's not fun. The, the biggest thing is it's called Glass Road, and the glass might not even matter. You might not make glass at all. Uh, maybe yeah. you should, though, to score well, but not necessarily. Not necessarily. I actually, I actually liked it. It was a 
okay game. I didn't hate it as much, but yeah. Anyway. Anywho. Yeah, well, that's about the time we have. So we want to thank uh, SaltCon and Dan Naylor and everybody that came here today. And uh, so we will be out of here. Uh, you could check out our podcast. We have some cards up here for the audience in here. Um, cards and Cubes is a production of Pod Cauldron. So you could check out some other great shows on the Pod Cauldron Network, including Bub Club, which is a horror movie podcast, and Rabble, 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 a humorous look at current events. So, yes, we will continue with our regularly scheduled programming next weekend. So, once again, thank you.